0: Hi, this is Elizabeth Bailey, and you're listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. So Paul gets really specific with this brand new church in Thessalonica. This church is only a couple months old. Everyone in the church is a brand new believer. And so the first chapter, he talks all about the gospel, that Jesus has come, died on a cross from our sins, rose for the dead, defeating sin, defeating death, defeating the devil. And that means we can turn from the things we serve in our life to instead serve the living God. In chapters 2 and 3, Paul said, This gospel has motivated me to come and suffer, to come tell you about Jesus and love you with my whole heart. Because the presence of people matters. But now Paul's going to be super specific. He's going to get into the instructions of what does it look like to live God's will for our lives. Look at verses one through three with me. Finally, then brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. He's not rebuking the Thessalonians, but encouraging them to say, you are to walk with God. You are to please God with your life. That's a great definition of what a Christian is and does. Do you want to please God with your life? Has Jesus changed your heart to say, I want to please God. I want to learn more of his Bible to please God. I want to learn more about Jesus so that I can walk With Jesus, follow this Jesus. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, through the Spirit of the Lord with them, repeating Jesus' teachings to them. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So some preaching incorrectly emphasizes rules, 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 and more rules, and that's the only thing they talk about to the neglect of the gospel. But often we overreact and only talk about the gospel and say, hey, we're just doing the gospel and we never get to the clear instructions that the Bible gives us. We never end up teaching like Jesus does, which talks all about himself and God and all about how to live a holy life. And we need instructions because what we have is we have a holy God. We have a God who is simply not like us. We're made in his image, but we're tainted by sin. We don't know how to live a holy life. Therefore, we must be instructed by God how to live a holy life. And this great passage is great for us because it addresses a question that almost all relatively young believers ask. And the question's this What's God's will for my life? Raise your hand if you're still asking that question. <laughs> Look at all these holy people. <laughs> Come on, I got two hands up. <sighs> Here's the clear biblical answer for absolutely anyone, no matter how old you are, how old you are in the faith, no matter what, God's will for your life is your sanctification. What God is concerned about is you growing to look more like Jesus over time. Sanctification, that means sanctity, means holy. It's the process of holiness in your life. And this is mind-blowing because in our culture, our culture is materialistic. You are what you have. Our culture is pragmatic. You are what you do. And you are meeting a God today that cares more about who you're becoming than what you do with your life or what you achieve with your life. We have a God who cares more about who you're becoming than what you're achieving. And for a kid like me, that settles deep in my heart because I grew up in a home that was up and to the right. Go, go, go. Achieve, achieve, achieve. And that was a huge gift to me because drive is a good thing. It just makes a sorry, pathetic God. Because the end of achievement is emptiness without God. But what is sanctification? How does it work? Big word, and we always want to use the big words here at Citizens, but then explain them really well. And so let's look at what sanctification actually is. And it gets into what the gospel is. The gospel is past, the gospel is present, and the gospel is a, pro- is a promise. And here's the three ways to think about it. And they're all of our big ifification words. Can everybody say ifification word? Yeah, now we're all feeling silly. Fantastic. And this is in the past. For some of you, it's not in the past. You need to believe, because when you believe, you are justified or experience justification before God. We're saved in a moment from the penalty of sin and united with Christ. The gospel, your salvation, happens in a moment. When you turn from sin and put all your faith and hope in Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross and his rising from the dead, as the Messiah of the Old Testament spoke about, you are saved in a moment but you are sanctified for a lifetime. So if you have been justified, if you put all your faith and hope on Jesus Christ, you can be absolutely certain that you are free from the penalty of sin. You are free from the judgment of God towards hell, away from him. You are united with Christ. But being united with Christ brings you to this present sanctification, this process of growing holy. You are being saved from the power of sin for a lifetime thus becoming more like the Jesus we follow. A sure sign of your salvation is you becoming holier over time. You desire, as this text says, to please God. It's a great question to ask, do I desire to please God in my life? Whew, you can save a counseling bill right there. You can sit down and just ask, what do you really want? And if it's something other than Jesus, it's time to have a spiritual check-in. Christians desire A number one, Jesus, and then the other stuff. That is what defines us as Christians or little Christ people who follow Jesus. And it's this power of sin loosening and loosening and loosening, having healing in our story, changing our priorities, transforming our minds as Roman 12 talks about, being built up and equipped in the body of Christ, being encouraged with one another. Sanctification isn't just a straight arrow to the top, but it's a bumpy road that leads more and more to looking like Jesus. But here's something cool because it happens in this book a lot. We don't talk about glorification as much. We could put future because it's certain, but promise starts with a P and we do baptize a lot of people here, you know? So we got to have the alliteration. It says glorification. You will be saved from the presence of sin, united with Jesus for all time. One day there will be no more struggles. That's not going to happen on this side of, of eternity, If you're hoping one day you just grow so holy that that sin's not a struggle at all, there's no temptations, Paul says you'd have to remove yourself from the world. We live in a fallen, broken world with a flesh that still hangs on these bones. But the promise of glorification, that one day you'll rise from the dead just like Jesus, and your body will be returned to you glorified That means something cool. And you're gonna be the best version of living you before God with no sin in between you and God is gonna be an amazing feeling to meet the Savior with unveiled eyes and enjoy his grace and love face to face, burning into your soul. And it's that hope that pushes us forward. We look back in thankfulness We look forward in anticipation, which keeps us moving down this line. And it's crazy. The New Testament uses these words all the time, that you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. It uses all three tenses of the same word of this process of salvation. It's so biblical to start to think of your salvation as something that happened, is happening, and one day will be full because there's moments in his life that christ might not feel all satisfying there will be moments in his life that those wounds are just so big and these hurts are just so big you feel despair and that's okay jesus will meet you with the grace you need for right now but one day buddy it's gonna be full one day the cup will be all the way full and we're to long for the fullness of glorification that we take the with God us with God in the moment and we look forward to the fullness coming one day God's will in our life is sanctification I got to bring up the classic chart you all ready this is like a citizens classic ta da the cross chart. If you're new with us, every single per- member of Citizens goes through new member discipleship, where you sit down with a couple of our singles or a couple of our couples, and you walk through a process of discipleship through the book of John, and you learn basically gospel grammar, how the gospel really applies to your heart and your life, so that we're all on the same page, but also... For most, that's like the first time getting some depth in the gospel to more than Jesus saved me, but Jesus is saving me every day and learning how to live your life with Jesus. And I want to explain this chart. It's the best chart in history. This is the passage of time in your life. At some point, hopefully, and if not do it today, you converted. You said, I used to think I believed in Jesus or I used to hate Jesus. Now I'm in, I'm following the king of the universe. And from that moment on, two things start happening. You start growing in awareness of God's holiness through his word, through other believers, through the Holy Spirit inside you. You start to take what little you knew about God and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But most people think that's what growth is. And in some ways they're right, but they're only half right. Because here's the other part of it. We also grow an awareness of our flesh and our sinfulness. When you first believe, that's the least you've ever been aware of your sin. And as you grow over time, you used to think sins were like, oh, I drank too much the other night, or, 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 or I lied to a friend, and those are sins. But to see the sin of pride, of deep lust and covetousness in our heart, to see how we spin things to our family and friends... Those are deeper things, matters of faithfulness and justice and righteousness in this world. And over time, you start to see your need for Jesus is actually the smallest point was at conversion. But over time, you start to see how holy God truly is and how good he truly is and see how much I truly need them. It doesn't mean you get worse over time. You just become aware of how big our rebellion to God really is. And so when Paul's saying, the will of God is our sanctification, church, let's keep busy doing this. Because here's the thing, even though sanctification might hurt in the moment to have an experience of like, whoa, I'm really not like God. There's a joy that the cross gets bigger in your life. The gospel gets bigger in your life because you start to see your deep, deep need daily for Jesus. More than just the conversion, you need a whole life reformation from the inside out. We're not aware of how unchristian truly we are until we start to live this life in the spirit of God to show us how big God is and how much we need him. That's how Paul can confidently proclaim the big gospel and say, of sinners of whom I'm the foremost. That's what I hope to say here at Citizens. That I am the most aware of my sin. That's a goal. That I'm most in need of Jesus. And that Jesus is meeting me with the most grace. That's the race I want to win here at Citizens. And please try to beat me. Let's be sanctified together, church. And it reminds me of, I got the opportunity to go to the beach this summer. And my son just loves looking out at the ocean and feeling the wind come off the surf. It blows a little kid's mind. The first time you see the ocean is a magical thing. And I started a thing with Eloise, and I continue with Tyler, of just kind of walking out as far as I can, out into the waves where it's still safe and I can touch. And eventually he started saying, Dad, take me out as deep as we can go. Go deep, Dad, go deeper, go deeper. It's a picture of what God wants to do with you because he's a bigger, stronger, taller, obviously taller than me, daddy. <laughs> and he's more trustworthy. And he wants to wade you way further out than you are currently. He wants the, you to experience the scary, the wild, the freedom, all of the sensations of being a little out of control as you learn more about him and more about your need for him. And that's where the growth happens at the end of that thread. So the question, church, as we dive in this text, are you willing to go into the ocean a little deeper? Because Paul's going to get really specific. Look with me. He gives two instructions of to go deeper for the Thessalonians in God's ways. Holiness. First is abstaining from sexual immorality. Look at verse 3 and 4 with me. For this is the will of God, your sanctification That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body, his or her own body, in holiness and honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. God's will for your life, the place he wants you to grow in holiness is to abstain or refrain from sexual immorality. See, Paul knows that the Thessalonians, they live in a pagan, passionate lust culture in Thessalonica that's basically just like ours. It's a culture obsessed with sex. And it's interesting just because they're just like their culture, our culture doesn't really know what to do with sex. As obsessed as they are about it, they have no idea to do with it. And we alternate between making sex absolutely everything and making sex cheap and nothing. Take a look at this chart with me. See, our culture can't decide which it is. So we go all the way over here that sex is God, therefore it defines us, and we become a slave to it. Whatever our sexual desires are, whatever we want to do with our bodies, that's who we are, this is the most important thing, and everything in my life, it's the first thing you need to know about me, this is what matters. Or we go all the way to the other side. Sex is cheap, and it defiles us, for we were made for so much more. You can think of things like pornography, things of things of casual sex or things like that. And We tend to live on the extremes of both. One where it's a God and the other where it's cheap and defiles us. And we see this idea is alive for them because the, actually sex is neither of those. Sex is a gift. If you believe the Bible that we're made by God and made for God, we can use sex as a gift to be used according to the giver God humans didn't invent this thing, kind of like we didn't create our own bodies. This thing is a gift to humans to be used in God's way. And we get this right from the beginning. It's the first chapter of the Bible. Genesis 127 says this, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are made in the image of God, which means we are made to be in relationship with God and worship him. We're not animals. Animals are not made in the image of God. It's humans only, made in the image of God. And we see in Genesis, in the whole Bible, we're meant to be in this relationship with God, but also that the only way more humans are made is between a man and a woman having children. That's the only way. God calls us to work keep, help, help rule this world under his authority, but also to procreate. God made distinct biological genders for this reason, male and female in God's image, both fully worthy of respect, dignity, and love, but that the sexual union between a male and a female is the way God made to create babies. It matters. This is a holy thing that God's given us as a gift for children, for pleasure, and connection within a marriage. It's not to be used cheaply and it's not me, not to be our God, but rather used by God as the giver intends to bring him great glory. It's not for our quest for pleasure or our search for identity in life, but rather a gift to be used in God's way. So what is sexual immorality? What's not holy to do with our bodies according to God? And it's helpful just to see this word for sexual immorality in Greek. It looks like this, Pi, Omicron, rho. So for us, P-O-R, new, rho it's pornea. This is where we get the word for porn or pornography in our culture. So if we think we're like way distant from this culture, you would be way wrong. We're talking about the exact same sorts of items. This word is used throughout the New Testament describing every sexual activity outside of God's prescribed use of sex as a gift between a man and a woman inside a loving marriage. All other forms of sexual activity would be called or to be abstained from, whether that's an extramarital affair, premarital sex, all other hetero or homosexual activity. Things like prostitution or today's digital prostitution, like pornography in digital form. All these sins were very common, minus the technology, in Thessalonica. Prostitution was widespread. It was even a part of the religion, and it was just a part of the life there in Thessalonica and the Greek world. It featured both male and female uh, prostitutes. They had extramarital affairs, were rampant, especially among males. And the culture included both hetero and homosexual practices as well as relationships. To say their culture is far and distant and this doesn't apply would just be wildly incorrect. We actually have tons in common with these Greek speakers of Thessalonica. And Paul uses the word sexual immorality, porneia, to describe all of this. And he also prohibits all these items by name and in detail in other places. And why does God care? Well, there's three reasons. First, sex is a gift. It's not cheap and it's not God. Second, God is holy and he calls his followers to be holy. That's what verse 7 will argue in a minute. But third, Paul says sexual sin is a sin that sticks to us. That we abstain because we are simply not our own. We're not our own. That's why the Genesis matters. Take a look at this. This It's from 1 Corinthians 6, another Greek town with the similar issues going on. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. It's the number one advice in the Bible regarding sexual immorality. Just get away. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And I think we've all felt that, right? Or most of us. Whether in our heart or our mind or our body, there's a certain guilt and shame that sticks with you that's a little different than just telling a lie and, or something like that. There's a, there's a sense to it. In verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. God made us. We're not the center of the universe, but there's a God who is, who gave us this body and gave us the gift of sex. Not for us to think it's gross or cheap or God, but a beautiful gift to be used in his ways. And when it's not, it tends to have big consequences for everyone around us. See, our body is God's, not just our soul. With an immoral use of body comes that guilt and shame that sticks. And most of us have felt that. I don't need to convince you. But God isn't trying to hold you back, church. Instead, God is trying to set you free to truly be yourself before the creator of the universe and holiness. The truest, freest, happiest, most loved you is the you on your knees before the creator saying, I am yours, Jesus. You are number one. You are my God. That is the place of your truest expression of self because God made you and you're made for God. He's not trying to hold you back. He's trying to set you free to what is actually good. We've been slipped a terrible lie from our culture that says your sexual desires or what you're attracted to is who you are. And that's just not true. Who you are is made in the image of God. There's a way that how we are in this world And that is defined by brokenness in a broken world. Our desires are not to be trusted in many ways. That's the doctrine of sin. But who you are is made for God in his image to be with him forever. So we can trust this God with our bodies. Our sexual life has consequences. Often in the case of marital unfaithfulness, there's great pain. Look with me at 6 through 8. This is where Paul goes to. Then no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as he told you before him and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards us disregards not man, but God. To disregard this, let me be clear, as clear as the text makes it, you are to disregarding God himself. That's always true in God's word, but we're gonna go ahead and put a times two if the text actually says that back to you. It says to disregard this is to disregard God who gives the Holy Spirit unto you. Church, we teach on hard things because they matter to God and they matter for your life. There's not one person in this room who hasn't been negatively affected by adultery. I just don't believe that no one has been scot free through their life and not had to feel the consequences of maybe our own or someone else's sexual sin that broke up a house or broke up a friend's life or broke up a heart. There's just no way. We know this is true. So let's take the word, the word of the Lord as it is, or his words and not disregard them. My job, church, is to tell you the truth. The most loving, gracious thing your pastor can do for you is to rightly divide the word of truth and put it before us over and over and say, let's go worship the Lord together in humility and honor towards God. I don't do that. That's why we do and teach every verse we can of this Bible. So let us obey together, confess what we need to, and find help to grow holy together. If you feel trapped or stuck in sexual sin, I want you to listen to Jesus' words to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. She was thrown at Jesus' feet. People are ready to stone her. She turns to Jesus, calls him Lord, and this is what Jesus says back. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So if you feel stuck, if you feel absolutely trapped in this addiction or life or whatever, whatever you call it, whatever it is, Jesus is saying his consistent presence to people who repent is saying, yes, forgiveness is here. Now turn and let's start a new way. That's who Jesus is. It's a message of great hope to all people. And if you think you're above sexual sin or have matured past it, I want you to listen real close to Jesus Christ. Matthew 5, Jesus says this, You've heard this said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman or vice versa for a woman and a man or whatever, this with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out throw it away. For it's better you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. See, the gospel invites us not to act like we have it all together and never sin and, and never sin our heart. Jesus raises the bar to say, look, we need to be honest about our struggles confess them and grow and get help we need to continue on this path of holiness. No one's above falling into sin in this way. King David does. The Bible's full of these stories. Our lives are full of these stories. But we look at this, and there's so much hope. Look at 1 John 1 with me. It says, if we say we have no sin, we've deceived ourselves. Hey, fam, if you think you have no sexual immorality in your heart at all for years on end, you have deceived yourself, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Church, we want a culture where we accept that we are not Jesus Christ in the flesh, but rather followers of him who need his loving grace all the time in all topics, including this one. Just like that cross chart, we must grow in the knowledge of our need for Jesus and our knowledge of Jesus himself and fall more in love with the gospel we desperately need. Holiness comes not from distance from sinners, but closeness to God. Amen, church? Amen. Now, I don't want to mention the titanic issue of homosexuality without a little additional pastoral care here. Because of, that, because of this, I want to be really clear that everyone, regardless of sexual orientation or gender, is worthy of respect, love, dignity, honor, friendship by Christians, because they are made in the image of God, period. Amen? And there's no sexual sin that is worse than any other. Rather, we all need the grace of Jesus. Amen? Amen? The church has not always done great at this, but that doesn't have to be our story, our history. We can move forward, repent of where the church has missed the mark, and instead preach a beautiful, clear gospel just like that, that everyone needs the grace of God and everyone falls short of the grace of God. On the back table, there's gonna be a chapter three from Dr. Rosaria Butterfield's book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. The champions led a group on this this summer. The book is about hospitality, but that chapter helps detail kind of the posture of how to engage well in these matters in the scriptures, how to love well, how to understand them, and just unpack it in a little more depth. The ebook will be free in our weekly newsletter to everyone, but the chapter is in the back that addresses this is Dr. Rosaria Butterfield. As she came to Christ and converted, um, she left a lifestyle of homosexuality to embrace this Savior. So she's intimately familiar with these things and is a great teacher to all of us. Also in the weekly newsletter will be a guide of fleeing sexual immorality in general and kind of how to fight temptation in more detail once again, we want to teach on hard issues because I desire for citizens to be clear, kind, and compassionate on these issues, to continue to make room for these stories and these stories of grace already in our congregation, and that they would abound more and more because these is common issues from Thessalonica to Birmingham and beyond, and issues that God wants to speak into our life on and give us even more grace to grow. But Paul isn't finished. He doesn't want us just to abstain from sexual immorality, but actually grow into something greater. We are to grow into God's ways, which means growing in love. Look how Paul encourages us in verse 9 and 10. It says, now concerning, hey babe, Uh, now concerning brotherly love, she's very distracting to me. Um, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Remember, brothers is shorthand for the family of God, brothers and sisters. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Paul encourages them, keep going. It is great to love, but why not just keep going? Their love is rich and continue to share it widely. When we were on the playground yesterday, it was awesome. Y'all killed it meeting new people, having so much fun, connecting with new people. And when people are like, hey, I'm a Christian, I, I go to X or Y church, that encourages the socks off me. And I'm encouraged to meet them. Why? Because our love abounds. If they didn't know Christ or didn't go to church, well, come on to Citizens. We can be people they are absolutely over the moon when we interact with other believers and just give love away in powerful, rich, deep ways. We're called to love and increase our love. And part of the key of what Paul is hitting on is he says, y'all have been taught by God to love, taught by God himself to love. Have they met the Lord Jesus in the body? No, Jesus rose from dead like 10 years ago or more, but they've been taught to love by God, by spending time with God, spending time in his Word spending time in prayer, and they have learned from God his love. And when you meet someone who loves people well, it's coming because they've spent time being loved by God. See, one overflows to another. If you find like your love is short with everyone, man, the first check isn't to do more, but to get more God. It's to pull back to God and say, man, am I really spending this time with the Lord? Because a direct correlation between our love for others is the love we experience from God. God never runs out of love. He is a fountain. When it comes to you, it goes through you to the world. And that's why he's encouraging them to go ahead and be wild with your love. Be irresponsible with your love towards others. It's like the ending of Boss Baby Church when they find out that adding a new kid to the family doesn't make less love for all the children. It actually multiplies the opportunities for love in a family. So the same with you, church. Go ahead and add those extra three neighbors to the prayer list. Go ahead and walk over their house. Go ahead and make friends with a new coworker. You're not going to run out of love if you're connecting and being taught by God who loves. Let your love be wild, church. Let it be wild forever. And here's the deal. If we battle our love, if we battle our lust with our true love first, the strategies can come later. The number one guard between you and lust is a white hot love for God by experiencing his love and then a love for other humans to see that they are also loved by God and not for our lust. We are not to treat people as objects, but other people in the image of God. And when that white hot love burns through us, Suddenly, lust is not as attractive. Starts to lose its allure when you see what true love is. But Paul gets even more specific on what love looks on just a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday. It's learning to live differently than the whole world. Look at me at verses 11 through 12. It says, and aspire. Another translation is make your ambition to live peaceably. Aspire to live quietly, to remind your own affairs." mind your business, and to work with your hands as we instructed you. I know some of y'all are loving this. This is like your moment. You're like, man, I'm... finally. We instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now, this is really attached to that same command of love. He's just unpacking it a little further. And he's saying, your love is to build a life that's quiet and peaceable. Meaning, can you build a life that's not about you, that you're so focused on loving others, so focused on providing for the people in your life, that you're not loud about the stuff that don't matter. You're not a drama seeker. You're not a social media star. You're not trying to gain followers in life, but build friendships. And that's what a quiet, determined life looks like. That you can sit and say, I know what my priorities are, which means my life starts to quiet down. I'm not trying to be more than I am. Isn't that a beautiful thing? If you didn't try to be more than you were ever, and that you got to walk in as Charlie Yombez to every room, fully confident in the love of God, that he can live a quiet life. He knows he's an awesome worker, and he knows he has his priorities light. So he has nothing to prove and nothing to lose because he's loved by God forever and ever and ever. Dang, I want that all the time. That's what a quiet life, minding our business means. Minding your own affairs means mind our own affairs. We can in love talk to a friend about truth, but we don't need to involve ourselves in drama that's not ours. Each day has enough trouble. That's what Jesus said. Tomorrow has enough trouble for itself. We don't need to seek drama that's not our drama. And furthermore, when it says work with your hands, we don't all have to become woodworkers, but we might become better people learning the hard work of working with wood or something, another material like that. But it says that every believer is to make their own living the best they can and be dependent on no one. That means we should pay our taxes responsibly, pay our debts responsibly. We should avoid any unnecessary dependence, whether it's on a government program or it's on a credit card. Now, if we need these things, that's one thing. But to just seek them or just let them be, that's another thing. And if vice versa flips. If you're cheating or evading your taxes, you're doing the same thing on the other side of the ledger. We live in a capitalistic Democracy, where we all have agreed to pay certain taxes, to provide certain safety nets in our culture, and those are good things. But to abuse them is bad things, whether by not paying taxes or staying on programs or seeking programs you don't need. And the Lord says this is a witness of integrity. Just like you need integrity with your body before you go anywhere else, you need integrity with how you work. That's a main calling in your life is this procreation and work. And then that's what he wants to get right with these new believers that we're called to work hard or care about what we're responsible for and fulfill our obligations in life. I know this feels like uncommon teaching. Like, wait, are you really talking about all this stuff? Yes, we're talking about all this stuff because we want to be a people full of integrity, To take what we need, nothing more. To not be dependent on people if we don't need to be in a financially unhealthy way. If we need help, that's one thing. Let's get all the help we can. If we don't need help, that's okay. But we also want to contribute our part, working diligently, whether it's taxes or anything else. So we may walk properly before outsiders, be dependent on no one. Don't undermine your witness with your body. Don't undermine your witness on social media. Don't undermine your witness with your money because you're easily dismissed by this world. I had a friend that kind of told people pretty loosely, like he didn't pay his taxes. Owned his own business, didn't pay his taxes. And slowly, some people kind of called him on it and he, he didn't care. But eventually people kind of just didn't even want to be around him. And he claimed Christ and people were like, man, this guy's a joke. Are you kidding me? That stuff will undermine your witness in a heartbeat. So let's be a people in these big categories, body, sexuality, work, money, drama, that we don't undermine our witness over silly things that have serious consequences. There's a connection between knowing how to work and rest. When we work, we're properly tired and we don't let sexual immorality arise from sheer boredom. When we rest properly we don't fall into sexual immorality stemming from fatigue or despair. You were made to work if you are able Christian in your life and work diligently towards things that matter. So a few things church. I think it's first a long, take it, take your time to ask the big question. Do you wish to please God? That's the heart of the beginning of this text says this is a life pleasing to God. There could be no better question, I think, to see if you are in the faith. Corinthians tells tells us to test ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Ask yourself the question, do I wish to please God with my life? I know for some of you who are new to citizens or maybe maybe new to the faith or new to hearing about Jesus, I want to ask you, do you wish to please God? And if the answer is no, I bid you come, turn and believe in a sweet Jesus who died for you. Place your faith in him and step into the everlasting life with God. Second thing I want us to consider, church, is just to encourage you to press on in that sanctification in your work, in your life, in your sexuality. Sit down with your spouse, a friend, and just talk about where you want to grow. And if you don't know, say, will you pray for me to walk into the ocean a little further? Maybe it's been a long time towards walking towards the ocean. Maybe I got scared a long time ago and I've been hanging out in the shallows way too long in a very manageable, controlled sanctification that everyone says is good, but I know deep down there's a whole lot more in the ocean for me. Church, let's be a people that sees the wild, scary ocean and trusts the everlasting arms of our good Father to walk out there with us. And that while it feels scary to do the work of sanctification, the deep work, it's actually the safest place in the world to be in the arms of God. You've been listening to the Citizens Church podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.